This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents, Christopher. And Eric. And you know what we should start doing on this podcast? No, I give up. What? Uh, this is never a compelling reason for you, but other people are doing this, and maybe we should start doing it, oh, too. Oh, God, that's the last, that's the reason I never do anything. Well, they, they start to, they read a scripted sort of syno- short synopsis of what the episode's actually going to be about, so that they can go talk about whatever the fuck they want for like five or ten minutes, and then people aren't like, I wonder what this episode's going to be about. Are they ever going to get to True Crime TV Club? I think that by this point in our particular podcast, people have come to understand that every podcast is about us and that anything we discuss is incidental to that fact. That's why they're drinking all the time. That's right. They yes. t- t- drink when we become self-obsessed. Well, I, I every now and then I say this, and I said it before this episode, and Eric never likes it, so you'd think I would stop. But I was like, we better get right into this one. This is a lot to talk about today. And he's like, or else what? What's going to happen? The podcast police are like going to Like going to be us. a different length. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the same show. Well, anyway, it's not yeah, the same it, show, but it's the same length of time. It's one of the things that people don't get about things like the news and jobs like that. It seems like, because every day is a different news story or whatever, that it's this great variety and this very exciting environment. But really it's like working at the canning factory because you're basically doing the same thing every day. Mm -hmm. It's almost going to be mind-numbing. You have to really do stuff to kind of snap yourself out of it because you're really doing the same thing like – Every episode is the same to the people doing the episodes. It's the audience that are getting the different versions. So I hope you all appreciate <laughs> the mind-numbing boredom. I was just going to say, where are we headed with this? Yeah, <laughs> All our shows are just us trying to be witty about other people's murder and misfortune. Now, the great advantage that we have is that this is what we do all the time. This is actually our idea of fun. Yeah, totally. It's hanging out together, talking about stuff, and you all just get to hear an hour of it yeah. every week. But this is not unusual for us at any time of the day or night. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. One morning in March 1999. 1990- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be just about enough out of you, Missy. That'll be We got a lot of opinions. We did like four little Andy Rooney speeches in there before we even got the episode started. Oh, the eyebrows Andy went Andy Rooney. Andy Rooney. <laughs> Wasn't that that old curmudgeon on, on 60, 60 minutes? minutes? You know what I don't like about shoes? I don't know. I don't, they all fit all the time. I don't remember him. <laughs> I do. I remember him. 
So yeah. did I sound like Andy? No, Rooney? you sound way more sophisticated. It was just um, I was just you know trying to denigrate you to silence you so that I could take over the episode. And how's that working do. for you? Apparently, it's a huge failure. But you suggested I have a donut, and I just feel like this is part of a plot to sabotage me because my eyelids. You are said heavy. he was about to fall asleep, and so I suggested he have something loaded with sugar because it kind of wakes you up. You'll eventually experience the sugar crash on the other side of it, right? But, yeah, totally. which is what you're experiencing now from the last donut. <laughs> That's the way you're treating the problem with the problem, Eric Shaw Quinn. Well, until you can get to the solution, which is go to bed for eight hours, (laughs) which I don't recommend as part of a podcast. I think if you think this is dull. (laughs) Wait till your heart is asleep. Not you. You you aren't dull asleep. You are very exciting. It's time for sounds with Uncle Eric. Uncle Eric. Amazing sinuses. You never know what's going to happen. Today is the first in a true crime pairing. That's something we do here on the podcast that's um, uh, an excuse to tie two episodes together with the tenuous knot. No, we are. We will do a true crime TV club about a case, and then we will, in our next episode, do a true crime movie time about a movie based on that case, which we've done and a few times before, right? Because you get to see the facts of the crime and then how the people writing the script dramatically interpreted those facts in order to make a stage-worthy movie, yeah. or not, yeah. as the case may be. But um, I think it's a really interesting thing to do mm-hmm. when it doesn't, you don't get a lot of opportunities, but we're getting more and more of them. And this yeah. just seemed, because next week is Oscar weekend and um, House of Gucci with Lady Gaga was such Oscar bait. Yeah. And um, Dateline just recently, I guess probably for the same oh, it was self-serving reasons, totally, yeah. did this um, episode on the House of Gucci murder. But we actually deserve a lot of credit because way back when, last fall, oh my God. we did Lady Gucci, um, mm-hmm. which was, I think, entirely in Italian. And- which was great for the person who takes notes on the episode and can't look away from the screen because he doesn't speak Italian and he has to see the subtitles. And you, we actually got to meet Patrizia Gucci, who right. is something else. So this is this will be a total of three visits to this crime. By the time we're done. So basically, we're experts, is what we're saying. Um, and basically, we were ahead of everybody else on this particular score, because that shitty um, biography, uh, biography documentary that we saw about it was pretty old and kind of cranky and not even well um, no, and, subtitled. Cl- and it was... Um, Clearly the one that Patrizia had participated in. It was her version. Because she is not in the dateline we're going to talk about today, and she did not cooperate with the movie House of Gucci. And said that Lady and, Gaga was really ugly. And it, w- it wasn't pretty enough to play her. And um, anyway, we'll, we'll talk about the movie next week. But yeah. um, So this dateline, and you are, you called it, this dateline was about promoting this movie. Lady Gaga is interviewed in this dateline. It's like, oh, yeah. okay, okay, wait a minute. There are scenes from the movie in right. the dateline. Okay. So um, we're just going to get right into it. Was it a two-hour dateline? I think it was a two-hour dateline. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So uh, one morning in March of 1995, 46-year-old Maurizio Gucci, the former CEO of the Gucci fashion empire, a celebrity throughout the world, and especially in Italy, where he was from, a third-generation Skyon. And I didn't finish that sentence in my notes, but I'm assuming that that was when he was murdered. <laughs> There's just a period. One morning in March 1995, Maurizio Gucci, 
third generation Skyon. That was when I and had my a donut. Favorite part of this is how, I mean, Christopher has been champing at the bit to read that line <laughs> since we started this episode, and he didn't finish writing it yet. I really, that's going to be take away my favorite moment from this week's podcast. <laughs> anyway, it, it could be that, or it could be um, he went for a big bowl of spaghetti bolognese. No, and, uh, I think that's got I'd... some on his tie, but I expect that's probably no. the morning when walking from his um, bicycling. I think actually from his. Mm, that's the movie we're going to talk about. Oh, the movie shows him bicycling, but yeah. So I think he was walking into his office building. Um, it was early in the morning. We interview uh, two people, Sarah Gay Forden, who is an editor at Bloomberg. She's going to pop up a lot because her book, House of Gucci, uh, is what the movie is based on. And so she is being consulted as an expert for the Stateline episode. Um, but they also talked to- Which Cla- is about the movie and not the murder. Right. Just in case you were wondering. Um, Claudia Farinaje, um, a Milanese NBC correspondent, she walks us through Maurizio's last day. So he walks into his luxury office building, he greets the doorman, and suddenly someone shoots Maurizio twice in the back. Maurizio turns around, the killer shoots him again, and then finishes him off with a shot to the head. Then, in a detail that I found particularly chilling, the killer waits for the doorman to come out of his hiding spot and shoots him too, so there will be no witnesses. However, as we will later discover, it was not a killing shot. So the doorman got away, and the killer flees. The crime scene becomes a mob scene, you know, and not because they're going to make you an offer you can't <laughs> refuse. It just means that the paparazzi shows up. It's yes. a famous guy who's been murdered very publicly, and it is instantly surrounded by not only the public, but also the press. I would say, even though they weren't necessarily this, in the same business, the Guccis were like the Kennedys of Italy. Like, they were a storied, famous family with a fashion empire that went back years, started selling leather goods, I believe, in like the 50s out of a shop in Florence or is even when they started. That. Yeah, yeah, it's very, um, yeah, they were very... Long history and one of the first really sort of brand name Italian fashion houses. Yeah, totally. Um, and it, particularly associated with leather in the beginning. Yeah, shoes yeah. and bags and that right. sort of thing. Because they actually own farms with cattle on them but that they raised right. to harvest and, you know, tan their hides and make them into um, beautiful leather products. Yeah. So um, we get introduced to a lot of talking heads at the beginning of this episode, and we start to sort of figure out who they are as we go. But somebody who's introduced early but not given a lot of context is a blonde woman named Sherry Loud, who says she met Maurizio in 1984 at a sailing regatta. I'm going to have some opinions about Sherry oh, in a while. I've got some huge opinions about <laughs> Sherry, and I'm like, not waiting very long. I swear to God, it was like, wow, okay. This is his side piece. Yes, That's how exactly. I would, it should have said that underneath her. Right. In the, Sherry Loud, yeah. Sherry Loud, yeah. Sherry Loud, side, Maurizio's side piece. Homewrecker, you know. Um, so... Uh, we, we meet the prosecutor who was assigned the case of Maurizio's murder. His name is Carlo Nicorino. Uh, he's never investigated a high-profile murder. Upon his arrival at the crime scene, he discovers that the doorman survived and was only struck in the arm. The doorman is able to report that the gun's length was unusual and the shots were muted, which suggests a silencer. 
But it doesn't have the earmarks of a professional hit because, for one, the doorman's still alive. Right. They said they a professional would have just shot him right in the head. It would have shot him in the middle of the head. Um, we meet, uh, per, let's see, per, I'm sorry, I got confused because there are two Patrizias in this story. There is the Patrizia we there are going are to Patrizia meet. There are two Patrizia Gucci's in this yes. story. Yes, and this Patrizia Gucci was actually born into the family. Um, she has a lot of positive things to say about the family because she feels the Patrizia who married into the family Patrizia later. Patrizia Rigatoni. Right, <laughs> exactly. Patrizia Reggiani. Yes. Um, the nightmare bitch who used to be married to Maurizio. Right. So um, she gives us some backstory. She tells us Maurizio was born in 1948. His mother died when he was five years old. His father was a silent film star who inherited half of the fashion business. And in 1970, he meets the other Patrizia, Patrizia Reggiani, at a party. Her stepfather is successful, but he owns a trucking business. So not nearly as aristocratic and glamorous as uh, working as with dead shoes. cows. Yeah, yeah killing cattle. <laughs> dead cow skin business. Um, she lacks the social status of the Milano Beni, which is uh, Italian for the Milano elite. Uh, he proposes to her on her second date. Um, we, so he's a player. We meet Dan Wakeford, People Magazine's editor-in-chief. He's going to be a, a particularly bitchy like Huge us. Huge queen. Huge queen. Fit in well here on the podcast. He was great. He has great things to say. And then we meet Dom, uh, Domenico De Soleil, the Gucci CEO in the late 90s. Who, De Soleil. I De just Soleil. love it. I'm yeah. so sorry. Um, Domenico Apology. So, and he tells us, all of these people are giving different pieces of the family backstory. He says that Rodolfo Gucci, Maurizio's father, was so disapproving of the marriage between his son and Patrizia Reggiani that he went to the Cardinal of Milan to try to stop the marriage. And the Cardinal's like, yeah, it's not the Middle Ages. We don't do that. I'm sorry, I I don't have any power over other people deciding to get married. Totally. That's really on them and you. No one from the Gucci family attended their wedding. No one from the Gucci family. Um, Two years after their estrangement or Maurizio's wedding and estrangement from the family, Maurizio's uncle Aldo persuades the two men to uh, reconcile. I, of course, wrote that, recognize, (laughs) persuades the two men to recognize. To recognize, because that's what they did. (laughs) Right. That's Siri's contribution to this week's script. And Aldo, I think it's worth noting, is kind of the Gucci. He's the guy who made Gucci Gucci. Mm Mm-hmm. He made it into a chain. He made it into, he brought it to America. He's the one who really made the name Gucci into sort of a worldwide brand. It was a a very... they certainly had it was a status brand, right? Um, when he got a hold of it, but he opened the store in Rome and around, mm-hmm. made it all over Italy and then all over the country and then all, all over the world. And his famous quote on the subject was, "My family is like a train; I am the engine, and they're the caboose." Which kind of gives you a sense of his relationship with the rest of the exactly Deadwood that he's been dragging along down the path of the living in the style to which they have become accustomed. But this is something that I think gets skipped over a little quickly and I think we did talk about in the older documentary on this case that we covered, which is that um, Aldo saw something in Patrizia that he liked. He saw a personality. He saw someone that he thought could make contributions to the company that he was building. And so the two of them became friends. And he invited them to move to New York, where he had set up shop as kind of the American head of Gucci there. 
and um, they begin working in the company for him over there, right? And the other thing worth noting about it is that also Aldo also hated his own son. Yeah. And so he was looking for an heir, and he thought that Maurizio might be the heir that he was felt deprived of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022. But today, I'd like to tell you about one in particular, a standalone thriller called Decimate. It's the terrifying story of what happens to our kitchen here at the studio Um, when I ask Christopher to make the tea. Yeah, no. When I said improvise the promo, I didn't say you could make shit up. I am not making this up. Look at that kitchen. Okay. Hi, party people. Decimate is actually a thriller about telekinesis and near-death experiences. The page-turning tale of a woman who becomes convinced her brother is being held hostage by a supernatural force following his death in a fiery plane crash. It has nothing to do with tea or our kitchen, and you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And while it is spine-tingling and terrifying, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to have to order off of Amazon to clean up that kitchen. Will you shut up about tea and our kitchen? Oh, I never shut up about tea. And this is when the special starts to turn into a lot of people with possible agendas talking smack about someone who isn't being interviewed, which is Patrizia Reggiani. Now, before we sound like the Patrizia fan club, we watched a documentary and, almost oh my a year God, ago. One of the most horrible women who's She's ever a terrible person. walked the face of the earth. She's a total narcissist and whatever. But at the same time, we're not seeing a lot of like glowing but, saints in this picture. But, yeah, but they done her wrong. Yeah. And she was the wrong one to do wrong. That's yeah. what happened. Yeah. That's my take on this story in two lines. Right. Like they did Patrizia wrong and she was the wrong one to do that way. She. Uh, made her own choices as a result, and they were what they were. Yeah. So Rodolfo Gucci, that's Maurizio's father, he dies in 1983. But he's left more shares to Maurizio than he has left to anyone else in his family, even his uncle or his mentor Aldo. And this was a problem for Aldo because he didn't want to give up control of the company, and suddenly Maurizio had control. The brothers each owned half. Right. And... Aldo had given some of his shares to his son. Right. And so when Maurizio inherited his father's, he then had the largest share of the company. Right. Because he was the only one who owned 50%. Right. Nobody else owned that much contiguous stock. Yes. Our math should always be checked here at the Dinner Party Show presents Christopher and Eric. But not by me. But not I just by happened him. to know in this particular case. The family has a legendary reputation for infighting, and the Italian press used to say G isn't for Gucci, it means guerra, which is the Italian word for war. There were even fistfights at board meetings between family members. Charming. 
Um, they sue each other. Aldo and his sons accuse Maurizio of a huge tax dodge. They could land him in prison. There's an investigation. As a result of this investigation, Maurizio literally gets on a motorbike and ru- and drives to Switzerland, where he's got a house, so it's not like that t- terrible in exile. Yeah. It's just, it's a mess. It's a soap opera on steroids, right? Um, there always this something. There's always something with this family. In Switzerland, Maurizio partners with an investment banker, and they basically seek out Aldo's weak link, which is his son that you mentioned earlier, who wants to sell his shares. And the son does sell the shares, and that gives Maurizio a majority stake in Gucci, and Aldo has lost his power and control over the company. And there are other elements of the story here that seem to not be included in this particular well, don't confuse it with the movie. Element. Yeah. Well, but it's also the Reggiani, the mm-hmm. Patrizia Reggiani story. There, there are aspects of their relationship and the timing here that I thought were interesting choices. The, yeah. The way that it was laid out, the way that that um, Dateline chose to tell this story is really oddly segmented. Yes. And their discussing of the, fin- the financial part of this story is completely separate from the other part of the story. They do one and then they then they do the other and mm-hmm. they I thought it was an odd choice because it it leans the story into something that is personality driven and it leaves out the financial aspect of what was of what was, seemed to me to be unfolding and yeah. and that this is one of those examples this particular Choice. He did. He wanted to um, to sell his Gucci shares because I think he wanted to go out on his own. Yeah, yeah. Because his father didn't see him as his heir, or he would have included him as his heir. And and there were little stray lines that came through brief interviews with the talking heads that were like, well, yeah, what's the context for this? Like, we're told that— and his father was in prison at the time that he sold the shares. Like, that's—while that may not Rodolfo be— Rodolfo Gucci was in prison, or— Ad- Adolfo. Oh, Adolfo, right. Yeah, absolutely. Adolfo? Who's the— Aldo. Aldo. Aldo, Aldo was in prison. He got busted in the United States for mm-hmm. tax fraud. Right. Um, and— Went down for it. Like, yeah. their plot to get Maurizio actually backfired on them. And, um, yeah, but the, the, uh, the, the point I was making is that they, they quote Rodolfo, Maurizio's father, who has since died at the point where we are, as having at some point said to Patrizia, who he was mostly estranged from, that when Maurizio gets what I'm going to leave him, he's going to become a different man. And it was like, Wait a minute. I need more context for this. First of all, when was this said? Why would he have confided that in this daughter-in-law he didn't he like? hated. You know, there were little pieces like that all throughout this episode, like they were biting off more than they could chew. Well, it was like they were trying to lean into a story that they that was other than mm-hmm. the, main con- the main context of this particular story. Right. I just thought it was a really odd choice that they never, in this episode, mention that Aldo went to prison. Yeah. Like, it was a huge thing. It yeah. Really, it destroyed him. He right. never recovered from it. At the end, he sold um, his shares to uh, Maurizio because he was— What choice did he have? His son had already sold out to and Maurizio. And he said at the yeah. time, I'm not selling you my shares, I'm selling you my soul. Because yeah. he really thought he was the Gucci Empire, and he kind of was. He kind of was, yeah. But um, And in some ways, the Gucci Empire never recovered either. It yeah. took down Aldo, and it kind of took down— the family, the the family Gucci, the 
you know, the their share in the empire. Yeah. So, yeah, right, because at this point, our Dateline episode jumps ahead five years later to the murder. Maurizio is murdered five years after this sort of takeover of the company. And at that point, he has a lot of assets, but he's cash poor, and he owes tens of millions of dollars to the banks. Uh, and by 1993, the banks are actually threatening to seize his shares of Gucci if he doesn't pay his debts. Then suddenly, Maurizio finds the money, all of a sudden. And this is becomes like this money trail becomes is it a possible list of suspects in this murder? But they also leave out how he found the money because right. it's perfectly well known. You know what I mean? Like right. it's just it was a really that it was a very odd choice in the way that they constructed this telling this story. I thought it was yeah um, about a narrative they were they were going for, which okay, but I, I didn't think it was I didn't think it did good credit to the story itself. Yeah. So what becomes clear also around this time is that his marriage to Patrizia has gone south. He's walked out on her but not divorced her, right? So they're essentially yeah. estranged and separated. And Sherry, that woman we were seeing earlier, the beautiful the blonde, piece. was his mistress. And she's weighing in with all of this horrible trash talk about Patrizia and whatever. And it's like, I'm sorry. Of course you're going to say this. You were wrecking this man's marriage or you were an instrument of it. Yeah. Like, I couldn't believe we were being presented with her as some sort of innocent or victim. She was a grown woman who, who met a rich married man at a sailing regatta and proceeded to have an affair with him for several years. Like, what are you talking yeah, about, lady? an apartment together. Yeah. He, he literally packed up and left the house, to, right. left, left his two daughters and his wife to come live with her. And Patrizia was no saint, and nobody is signing off on what Patrizia did or didn't no. do or whatever. She was a terrible person, narcissist at least, if not a psychopath. But, yeah, you know, nobody else being held up was some bloody saint, and Maurizio certainly was, and he was, I think, an ingrateful jerk. Right. Like he lived off of her yeah. for several years after his father disowned him when he married her for love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And that is, that's when we see a little flash of Lady Gaga saying that whatever you find out about Patrizia in the course of this, you have to remember that she took him as a husband when he had no family money. Yeah. He'd been estranged from and his, his family. And his family didn't show up at the yeah. even at the wedding. Like, yeah. she still married him. Yeah. But something happened, and I think this was clear from the other documentary, and I actually looked up, if you're interested in this discussion and you want to hear us talk about Patrizia's side of the story in more detail, that's our episode 78. True Crime TV Club serves up Lady Gucci, the story of Patrizia Reggiani. Um, when... There was a power shift when Maurizio's father softened and Aldo engineered that reconciliation and Patrizia got more of a, was able to contribute to the company and able to share ideas. That's when something shifted in her marriage to Maurizio. And if you put together everything Patrizia has had to say about this case, she will say, point blank, I realized my husband was not up to the job of managing Gucci yeah. and it needed to be me and Aldo. But that's really not covered in this Dateline episode. It's sort of under the surface. It's just, oh, poor Maurizio was running around. You know, he had these bills, and nobody ever had enough faith in him, and his family was terrible and always fighting, and he was just this innocent, and here's his mistress talking about what a great guy he was. And I was like, this is really one side and, of the story. And one of the things that the, um, that this, that the Dateline does um, point out is that she said that she was— that she was more upset with him for losing the company than she yeah. was for 
leaving her or anything else that he did. Okay, so I, you know, I can feel something happening here, and I think we should lean into it, which is we're leaving the frenzied schizophrenic timeline of this Dateline episode and just talking about it's the case just all it, over the place. Yeah, the, the timeline is too curated. The time, yeah, they. They they cherry pick the timeline so that they so that it pursues a particular um, narrative that they're trying for here, which I didn't really understand. Like, it's not in question what happened to Maurizio mm-hmm. or who murdered him or what the circumstances were. Every people were convicted and went to jail, and there isn't really any other suspects. Like, right. it was nice to bring up that they left out a lot of the discussion of the money and the business. They left out. Anything that made Maurizio seem like maybe less than we ought to start taking up a collection for his stained glass window, which I was like, my favorite thing that she did, as horrible as she was, as soon as he and Sherry broke up, he and the Mm -hmm. first side piece broke up, and he replaced her with an interior decorator Mm -hmm. um, in Milan who was kind of a friend of Patrizia's, and Mm -hmm. Patrizia was really not happy about it. And then he began to spend tens of millions of dollars on really extravagant purchases Mm -hmm. to decorate their home um, in Milan together. And in less than 24 hours after his death, Patrizia showed up at the door with an eviction notice, Mm -hmm. threw the woman out into the street with her baggage, Mm -hmm. and took possession of the billion-dollar apartment that he was building with his mistress. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as Mrs. Gucci, which she, I think, still was. Yeah. And so I think we should skip to the end and then sort of fill in everything from the back because what basically happens is that it is discovered that uh, uh, the police get a random tip from a guy who claims in he kind of says I was having this conversation oh my god this is the funniest thing ever one star hotel on the outskirts of Milan in this terrible neighborhood and I was talking some shit and I was pretending to be a big deal and a, like a criminal the underworld type guy to this guy in the hotel and the clerk says to me oh yeah you think that's hot shit well I murdered Maurizio Gucci and I did it with this crew of people I worked in and he just suddenly starts and the guy is so freaked out by the story and finds it so credible that he goes to the police and because he doesn't want to be carrying this around or have kept this a secret. And through a, through a series of surveillance events, they stake out these people and they discover that they were connected to this friend of Patrizia's that she was traveling the world with for years named Pina. And in fact... Maurizio Gucci was so afraid of Pina because he thought that she had psychic powers. She claimed he called her the Black Witch. And and when things would go wrong on his sailboat, he would say, Pina put this curse on me because Patrizio wanted me to. Well, Pina went out and basically hired this terrible crew of people to execute what was essentially an assassination. And they did a really terrible job of it, like leaving the doorman alive. And so... And if you believe Pina... She did. The reason she hired the terrible crew was because she thought they would never do it, right? And that they could then blackmail um, Patrizia for having set up the scheme to begin with and paid everybody to begin with. And because Patrizia was going around saying to people, "Will you murder my husband? Will you murder my husband? Will you murder my husband?" I'll give you ten thousand. I'll give you ten thousand dollars if you murder my husband. And people are like, "Was she kidding? Was she serious? Blah blah blah." So Pina's story was right. I was just going to blackmail her. I was take advantage of her big mouth, you know. 
and they did manage to execute murder. And then Patrizia claimed that she never executed, asked them to do anything at all, and this blackmail uh, plot was just sprung on her out of nowhere. They showed up and said, we've killed your husband and we're going to blame you, see that you're but blamed for it. what seems to have really happened is she hired them, she paid them, and then they wanted more money. And yeah. then everybody fell out with each other. That's yeah. what seems to have really happened. Yeah. Every, but the, everybody's version of the story kind of combines to give you that general impression. But yeah, she hired a hotel clerk with absolutely no criminal history. Um, uh, I forget what the second guy. One of them was a mechanic. A, a pizzeria. A pizzeria owner who yeah. owed a bunch of gambling debts. Right. And then a, a a guy who was a mechanic who was, okay, maybe a little more kabuki than the other two. And but collectively, they actually did the murder. They claim she paid them 90000 in advance and then 276000 after the murder. Uh, but when they found out how much the daughters were going to inherit, these were Patrizia's daughters, they wanted to get more money, as you just said. So, um, and they, yeah, they all turned on each other. You know, one of them went state's witness, although I don't think that's the term they use in Italy. And uh, it was the... <laughs> well, just for openers, it's probably in Italian. It's probably in Italian. That, I think, that's a safe bet. Although not if you're watching the movie House of Gucci, but we'll get no, to that next week. that's another story. Um, it's the trial of the century. Everybody is um, completely invested in this in Italy. There's, it's like the OJ trial of, of, of Italy in the mid-'90s. And um, they're all found guilty. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet? That depends. Are we at the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance between men. Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio, and now I'm being harassed by seagulls. Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better. Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press, when a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy scandal ensues at Sapphire Cove. Uh, yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room. Brandon! Come get this seagull! I can't help it if my writing uh, sets the I, scene. I know what I'm gonna set if someone doesn't come get this seagull. Where'd you get that sandwich? Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice. Now available for pre-order. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. 
Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? So but they show the mugshot, and she's clearly just had the argument with her mother. But that was how she wanted to be seen yeah. by the world, even in this moment. She was being taken out yeah. of She was Lady Gucci. She was, yeah. by God, that was a title she was never going to let anybody take yeah. from her at any cost. And that's what I meant earlier when yeah. I said they crossed the wrong woman. They thought yeah. they were going to take it away from her. And she was like, at any price that she had to pay— that she was not giving up that title. Uh, and I, this is the thing that happened, right? So so Maurizio walks out on her. He's got control of the company. She no longer has any input in the company at all. And the company went to complete shit. Fucks it completely up. He makes terrible decisions. And spends money like there is no tomorrow. I mean, just yeah. out of control spending. Yeah. And so, and th- but he doesn't divorce her. Right. So he's sailing all over the world with, you know, beautiful blonde women who hate Patrizia and are now interviewed about it. But he's not divorcing her, which means she gets to stay Patrizia Gucci. Mm-hmm. And then what everybody says is that as he he leaves Sherry, the one who's interviewed, and he gets together with Paola, who you mentioned, who becomes really the serious one, then divorce becomes a possibility. And they're saying that it, it was the loss of her Gucci last yeah. name that was going to um really mess with her head. And what she said in this particular special, in this uh, in the dateline, was that it was losing the company that, uh, that yeah. pissed her off even more, that he yeah. had fucked it up that badly. Yeah. And the, apparently the way he lost the company was that he... It's sort of like when Trump took power and he would shit on anything just because Obama did it. He takes power and he starts canceling these profitable projects that were his uncle's because he thinks they're not cool enough or they're not trendy enough. And, it, and everyone was like, this was how we were making money. This is how the company and he was like, yeah, I didn't like it. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't, be-, you know, and it was like, this was not a man with any kind of business sense. No, it was and he all- was using the cash register as his personal yeah. bank account. He was financing his extravagant uh, lifestyle with directly from the with funds directly from the company and it it really drove them into because that it was really other financiers who ultimately were more or less own, holding the company they yeah they eventually threw him out they booted him which is something we're going to see in the movie when we talk about it next week or you've seen in the movie house of gucci party people if you've watched it that they go into more detail about that ouster in the movie than they do in this special but I, eric this is what i feel about this special is that i feel like because we knew a lot about this case going into it we kind of saw some weaknesses in the dateline model the the need to to make a hero and the assignment of um, victim status to people who are maybe not necessarily deserving of it, you know, who aren't murder victims or abuse victims, you know, like the depiction of the mistress as having been somehow victimized by this situation when she wasn't really impacted by it and nobody threatened her or whatever. Well, like, I just. I guess, but I didn't think it was worthy of Dateline because they were in service of the narrative of that, the book. 
let's the say, the, that woman's book. Right. And the way that they told this story where they separated the two different – we got two different versions. First we went through the timeline and then we went back to the beginning of the timeline and we went through mm-hmm. it again. And I just felt like that was a – disingenuous way to tell the story. Right. Like, money was always at the heart of this story, and they told that part of the story very separately and in an isolated and almost sort of antiseptic kind of way, and I think that was to give you the different impression than... Well, to give you the impression that the only thing that really drove Patrizia insane was having her quote-unquote heartbroken, whereas the fact is she was tied up in all of that business yeah. and had a had a real emotional stake in the company, if yeah, not an and actual... and children who were yeah. heirs to that fortune and yeah. everything else. Like, it was... I, I'm not saying anything justifies Patrizia's choices, no. but I, I, didn't, I didn't like the way that they, they told this story. I just yeah. felt like it was... It was the facts were being presented in an order in order to as though you were prosecuting the case yes. to give me the impression of something that you wanted me to believe about it as opposed to just telling me the story of the crime right. yeah. and letting me draw my own conclusions yeah like if they had started the thing about Pam with the part about her driving around town mm-hmm. um pretending to be a dateline producer mm-hmm. and then come back to the beginning of the story and started again. Right. I would have felt like you're really driving this story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas they just told me the story. I'm sure there was editing about it, but they didn't it wasn't so heavy-handed. Well, and it's strange that they did that because I have to say as much as I just indicted their boilerplate, they are all about the twist. I think one of their marketing is mysteries with a twist. So you would think they would want to hold the big facts in reserve the way they did with Pam. You know, like that. The thing about Pam is you realized you were watching something completely different than what you thought you were watching. Whereas this, they proceeded from the murder that you sort of already knew about and they just did as you said. This was a promotional piece for that movie. Right. Yeah. Was what they were doing. I, I mean, that's how I. That's how it felt when they yeah. were done. I didn't think that it was terrible, and there was a lot of interesting footage and shots and looks at everybody. But I just felt like they were too much in service of the narrative that the movie puts forward. To uh, then and not in service of just telling me yeah. the story of this terrible family tragedy that it is a terrible unfolded a lot of levels, terrible family tragedy but it unfolded over a period of time and in a linear way and yeah to like to make the choice to like leave out Aldo going to prison yeah that is a huge but I think the longer we've done this the more we realize what these specials leave out and I think the justification is they can't include it for time but I think the decisions made for time one sentence are right they're they're in service of an agenda yeah. of a narrative agenda like we want to we want to make you feel this about and the case and usually I will say for in dateline's favor they don't do that they're yeah. not agenda driven I can see where they leave stuff out because it doesn't really add to the story that we're telling and you know but this was the most manipulated I have ever felt by them. Well, and it was shocking because I think the previous documentary we watched was so raw. I mean, it was just Patrizia really giving her version of events and then Pina giving her version of events, which was crazy. But that documentary presumed a greater knowledge of the case I thought that either of us had at the time. And yeah. so it was a little jarring and confusing. It was made for an Italian audience. And we were completely and, blown out of the water yeah. by it because we did not know. We picked it, I think, because it was the weekend that they were going to do the much belated fashion m- Met. Yeah. The, 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 oh, the Met Gala. Right, the Met yeah. Gala was happening. And so we yeah. wanted 
wanted something fashion related. And so I suggested that and we did it not really knowing anything about it. I mean, we certainly didn't know it was all going to be in Italian. It was quite mm-hmm. the it was quite the choice. It was I it was I'm not sorry we did it. It was remarkable yeah. and it introduced us to this case from her completely insane perspective. I mean, really. Just insane. Just insane. But this was not, I thought, the best telling of this particular crime. It was all there. Yeah. Like, I think the facts that we're stating are all pretty much there, except for, you know, the the glaring omissions that we've pointed out. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, all of these are his. This that was his mistress talking to us. I just trashing the wife. Like I, I, I'm not yeah. sure that I'm really down with. Let's have the mistress come in and talk shit about the wife. Right. Even if she did murder him, you're still the mistress. Right. Yeah. Totally. Like, it doesn't mean the murder the is justified. But I don't take you as a psychological expert on the woman whose marriage you were helping to destroy. Yeah. Like just, I don't. I'm not okay you know, with that. I'm happy to hear from if Patricia abused other people. I'm happy to let them step forward and tell their story yeah, and have Patricia their space. Patricia was horrible. I but, I think we've made no yeah. secret of the fact we think she's a nightmare. Like, she was right, but it's just she's not the person. That's not the person I need I telling would, me yeah, that. Totally. Natalie Morales can tell me that, but that side piece doesn't get to tell no. me shit about the wife who she was cheating on. Yeah, totally. So you had seen the movie, and I know we're not going to talk about the movie until next week, but unlike me, I watched the movie after I watched this one. You watched the movie before you saw this yeah, one. I so was it. it immediately clear to you, like, oh, this is just serving the agenda of the movie or serving the narrative of the movie? Um, I, I, no, I don't think I would say that entirely because there is, there are a lot of facts, mm-hmm. particularly in and around her participation in the crime and the way that it was put together that I don't think were in the movie. Mm -hmm. Like, I still got information. Like, Pina saying that thing about, I never intended this to be. I hired incompetent criminals. Mm -hmm. The guy, the, the hotel clerk who got the other two people had never committed a crime in his life. He was just a hotel clerk. He was so boring. I picked him because I thought he wouldn't be able to do it. That's the first time I'd ever heard anybody say it. And this was my third hearing of this particular crime. Mm -hmm. So there were aspects of it that I thought were um, were interesting. And I keep saying, I can't say that I heard Patrizia say it in this one, but I feel like I did. The thing about being more angry at him about losing the... I think that was the new. I, I didn't hear that. Then in he the was. Then she was about previous the, um, special. Yeah, the, the him cheating on her. But, but I, but I don't. But I'm not really clear on that. Um, Patrizia was less clear on his infidelity and his behavior than this was, or the mm-hmm. movie was. Um, but yeah, it was the way in which they leaned into it from that perspective, as though somehow, like. I mean, obviously, he was the victim of the murder, but he was not entirely blameless in the the dis- marriage, in the, the destruction, destruction of, of his marriage, marriage yeah, and that totally. relationship that yeah. led to his murder. Like that was that was, I thought, really sort of, and it's he is inexplicable to me mm. in any of the versions. Right, I don't. He is a person whose motivations I completely do not understand. Mm-hmm. Like. The thing financially, when you look at him taking over the company from Aldo, Mm -hmm. he was already in trouble. There was problems with all of these knockoffs. There were things that needed to be done. And so he immediately began, and he had to borrow money to make things work out. And he immediately began spending money 
hand over fist on stuff that had nothing to do with the company, and it was the company's money. Mm-hmm. That's a really bizarre, inexplicable. There's no explanation for that choice. It's the the only explanation that I can think of is that having been born into that company, he saw no separation from himself or the in the name, what the brand, what it meant. That it was like a royal somebody born into a royal family. I will be king. It's primogenitor. You know, like that. It's and so I mean the royal family in England has to justify their spending. I think to Parliament every few years or whatever they have to say we are worth this. And I saw recently that the royal train is. I think it's on the block. They're like, why do you need your own fucking train? Oh my god, it costs us millions and millions of pounds a year. And they're like, we're the royal family. It's a, because it gets tied up in in um, how they are perceived as they move through the world, right? It's like a celebrity thing, but it goes beyond that. It's like birthright. I don't I, know. I, I I think that is partly like I could understand that as a motivation if he was in fact completely unaware of the financial transactions that were yeah, unfolding. Totally. So and he's always presented as though he is completely aware. I think what may be happening is that he's being manipulated by that guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's Desoleil or not, but it's the the guy who ends up being president of Gucci yeah, after right. he's booted is one of his subordinates going yeah. into it. He's the one who actually, in one of the tellings, I believe it's the movie or maybe it was both the movie and this, um, is the one who had to tell Patrizia that he had left her. Because mm-hmm. he just packs up and leaves. She just yeah. thinks he's gone to a conference. And then he sends one of his right. his um, his staff to tell him. And so if he's the one who is manipulating Mauricio financially, mm-hmm. and Mauricio is oblivious because he's this, as you say, you know, noblesse, noblesse oblige, yeah. uh, lord of the realm, who's just believes that it's his right, and he, he's being led into the slaughter by this guy who's planning all along to take over the company, then Maurizio makes more sense to me. Mm-hmm. But to present him as being aware of the financial um, insolvency, potential right. financial insolvency of the company and the necessity for rescuing the brand... Mm-hmm. And then have him turn around and do something as financially destructive to the brand as he did. Right. It was so terrible that he lost the company. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me seems like a really strange dichotomy. I can't yeah. I can't quite get my head around it. The movie makes some suggestions about that. We'll talk about that next week. None are really made here. They just sort of buzz through it because they've got a completely a different agenda here. Mm-hmm. Um but none of them really, to me, fully explained why Maurizio just came to pieces. I heard a psychologist on YouTube, so take this as you will. Okay. Say this, that there is a precept in psychiatry and psychology that in some instances, if you cannot understand somebody's motivation for doing something so clearly self-destructive, you have to assume that self-destruction was the goal. That in the absence of a clear pathology, like a clear mental illness, that if somebody – they were describing the last days of Hitler and they were describing the actions of Hitler as a leader when he stopped making strategic decisions and started making just wildly destructive – from a military standpoint, I was – I'm all for Hitler self-destroying, right, or being destroyed. Or whatever, as long as he's gone. But that that you – you you have no choice as someone analyzing their behavior but to say 
you must have been suicidal. Like, I, I don't know if that's it. Like, if it's he just wanted to wiggle free of this family structure. I don't know. He just he just spent himself out of relevancy because it was it was better than quitting. You know? I don't know. Like I'm totally talking off my ass. But, I, well and I yeah. there's a part of that where I could like I could see that except that he was doing things like he was upping the stakes and planning to divorce Patricia so he could marry somebody. That's somebody who's planning a future. Mm-hmm. That's not somebody who's letting it go. He just seems to be unaware of the impending doom right. that he has built for himself. Like, mm-hmm. the company couldn't stand for the finances, and he was in debt to people, and he was not right. really, like, he had borrowed. And mm-hmm. if you're smart enough to know that you're going to put together, you're going to structure this this debt as a way to get get the company back on its feet and back to being the... Right. The, um, the, and, you know, like, again, like, the next telling of the story kind of presents it in a different way but mm. it's still very much the um the same question for me is how did we how did you make this terrible mistake mm-hmm. if you knew what you were doing and if you didn't know what you were doing then who did this mm. and to me the person who's left out of that story is the guy who ended up president of Gucci mm-hmm. i don't remember his name it may be the Desolet. Dominic Desolet yeah. i'm thinking it's that's yeah. who it is um is the one who I would say is the is more uh, enmeshed in what this story is than he's getting credit for. Okay. I think he's much more a prime mover in the development of this story than interesting than than anybody has said at any level in any of the tellings. He just kind of is. Oh, I'm just going along, helping everybody out, and now I'm president of Gucci, and everybody else is mm-hmm. fired. Mm-hmm. Like he wound up with the company, and everybody else was out. Right. That to me says, okay, maybe you had more to do with the engineering of this right. departure than. And if Gucci was, if Mauricio was naive enough, he was never qualified, and that's what Patrizia said all along mm-hmm. was that he was never qualified to run the company. Yeah. And so next week we will be back with the movie House of Gucci. It's a true crime movie time and the second half of a true crime pairing. I have big opinions about this movie. I just watched it. I, um, Particularly in light of everything we've already seen and everything we've already discussed. And Eric has big opinions all the time. I just, I'm all about big opinions because why bother if they're not big? And I would just want to say I've gotten through this entire episode and I have not yet taken a bite out of this donut. So as soon as we wrap, Which man, is why we're wrapping up a few minutes early, Are I we think, wrapping tonight? up a few? Or is, there, is there a few minutes early? <laughs> we haven't had the one-minute call yet, but by God, Christopher has gone as long as he can go uh, without... How many minutes until I get to have a donut, Brandon? Two minutes. Uh, Two minutes. Oh, no. All right. Well, oh, Eric, yeah, you yeah. talk. I'll start eating. Just over here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Famous final words. Yeah, famous, famous last words. No. no. I really, I, it, it is an interesting, I, it's one of the things that we like about doing the true crime pairing is that it gives you a way of looking at this right. from a couple of different points of view. We actually have a really interesting feature that we're planning mm-hmm. week after next. We'll tell you about it next week, but it's a, something we've been talking about trying to do for a while, and it's once again about seeing the same crime from a, multiple points of view. And I don't know that it changes the crime, but it certainly gives you an insight into the reporting of it. Anyway, yeah. more about that next week. I think surely we're at the one-minute warning point. So I think Any surely. final thoughts from you, Christopher? I am going to enjoy this donut. Yeah, and you've just really impressed us all by staying awake mm-hmm. long enough to, um, to uh, uh, almost, so close. All right, then. So I guess I should wrap up the show. Mm, you still smell weird.
Sorry. <laughs> I'm smelling my pop filter on my microphone. I'm like, we just had these cleaned and they still smell weird. Anyway, I've clearly already checked out, so we better we better wrap this episode. So okay, until well, next week. Oh, uh, there it is. That's I'm That's Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. Gucci Gucci. This is TDPS.